You just have to be audacious. When people ask me, well, how did you get published in National Geographic Traveler? I mean, all these magazines, I'm like, because I just picked them. You have to be audacious and get out of your own way and nobody's going to stop you. This is Dramatic Travels Entrepreneurs. Hey, hey, my friend, it's Aaron Schlein here and you have landed on episode number 30 of Dramatic Travels Entrepreneurs. My friend, podcasting plays a huge part in my dream life, and it can do the same for you. Unleash the power of your voice and start your podcasting journey today. Head over to DramaticPodcasting.com. You can read my story and enroll in my free podcasting mini course to help you start your podcasting journey the right way. That's DramaticPodcasting.com. The notes for this episode are available at DramaticTravels.com slash E30. Today on Dramatic Travels Entrepreneurs, we are joined by Lola Akinmade Okostrom. Lola is an award-winning writer and photographer. She has photographed and dispatched from over 60 countries for various publications, and she is the 2018 Travel Photographer of the Year Bill Muster Award recipient. Her work has appeared all over the place in National Geographic Traveler, BBC, CNN, many others. She is also the owner of Geo Traveler Media, a multimedia and travel consulting firm providing a spectrum of travel media related services. Lola joins us today from Stockholm, Sweden, and you can find her at lolaakinmade.com. Lola, welcome to Dramatic Travels Entrepreneurs. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Certainly my pleasure. Lola, before we dive in and start talking business, take a quick minute and tell the story of you, specifically your travel story. Just go back as far as you can and just bring us in and tell us that story. Okay, no worries. So this is the condensed version, but uh, I was born in Nigeria, um, moved to the U.S. when I was 15 for college, and then moved to Sweden about 10 years ago. And in terms of travel, working as a travel photographer and writer, I think I've been doing that for about, let's see, 12 years now professionally. But before then, I used to be a programmer and used to do all this on the side. You know, I, I traveled Enjoyed it, loved taking photos and realized, hmm, I could make this a career. And so kind of started building that side, uh, also, as you'll say, until I got enough clients to leave my programming career and do it full time. So tell me about that process. When you Tell me about that moment when you realized that you wanted to, to take photography to the next level and build a business around it, but you knew you needed to make a plan to sort of an exit plan out of your day job. and and kind of work that slowly over time. Tell me about that process. So what happened was um, very early on, I realized if I was going to move away from programming an IT field, which is a more financially secure field into something that's a lot more creative, like photography, I knew right away I had to diversify. So I wasn't going to put my eggs all in one basket. And so I started writing. I started consulting, I started doing all sorts of kind of travel media, multimedia related services so that I could over time transition into doing what I love, which is telling stories and and, uh, true photography, you know, of culture by exploring food, tradition and lifestyle. So it it really was a a process of realizing that if this is what I was going to do full time, then I had to diversify early and and kind of uh, inventory all my talents and all my skills and see where best I could spread them. 
So tell me what, did you learn anything about yourself during that process of diversifying and exploring all those different <laughs> avenues? Yes. Yeah, so, well, I, tell me about I, that. Uh, well, I, I think one of the things that you learn is just what, what are your strengths? And um, because what has happened is the last 10 years from when I moved from programming to now, uh, a widely published photographer, it kind of happened quickly. And so it shocked a lot of people. And I said, look, once you know what your strengths are, then you can switch industry and be impactful, right? So early on, I knew I was a, you know, maybe I was a good uh, problem solver. I'm a great team player, creative and versatile. And so once you kind of know your strengths, you can easily switch industry and apply your strengths, delegate your weaknesses and start building your business rapidly. So those are the things I kind of figured out early on. Tell me about those weaknesses. Cause when you're, <laughs> when you're early on, certainly the goal is to be able to, to farm out work, to have people really pick up the slack for things you're not good at, but maybe early on, if you don't have the resources to do that, tell me about those weaknesses and how you were able to overcome them. Okay. So one of the, my weaknesses is I have a hard time delegating because finding the person, the right person that shares your vision especially if you're a creative person and you've got your own voice and your own brand style and identity, finding somebody that's going to respect that and you trust, you know, to help grow that can be difficult. So I think that's a lot of problems. A lot of creatives uh, struggle with is delegation, right? Finding that person that's going to make sure your brand doesn't sink. And, uh, and one of the things I do is I am, because I am a problem solver, I tend to take on a lot of work right? Because I always try to solve problems, find the best solutions to uh, to different things. So that's one of the, I, I would say those are my two kind of areas that uh, I've, you know, I work on, you know, on a daily basis to help grow my business. So. And what did you learn about, about finding, finding those people about being able to, to fill those gaps and things you can, things we can teach other people about how to, to identify not just where your gaps are, but who the right people are to fill them. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, you have to do due diligence. You know, one, it comes from recommendation, making sure you follow the person's work as well, see what they do, and then see if there's going to be some kind of alignment there. And then it's also a matter of trusting because that's one of the risks you have to take is, you know what, if this person, I'm going to take a chance on this person. And then if they fail me, you know, then, (laughs) then I learn my lesson, but it's also a matter of being able to let go and go with the flow. And I think that's one of the advantages of also being a traveler is we tend to go with the flow anyway. We're pretty open. And, uh, and so, so it kind of helps to just, um, you know, just be more uh, open, I guess, in terms of, uh, you know, collaborating with people and, and knowing that every collaboration comes with some risk and you can't control everything. So let's go back to that that process of your, your shifting from a, a previous career slowly into becoming a full-time photographer. Did you what, tell me specifically about what was the goal that you had in terms of you know, talking numbers, like a financial goal or a tipping point when you knew that once you hit this certain benchmark that you were going to be able to fully transition comfortably out of you know, the corporate world or the, you know, the tech world and then into photography full-time. Correct. So when, so when I went in, 
I wasn't initially I wasn't doing it for the money because I I had my job, right? So I had I was working as a programmer, but then I realized this is what I really want to do. I mean, this is where I thrive. This is what wakes me up at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. to do it. And so I knew that it was going to take time to try and build up kind of what I earned as a programmer. And so my threshold was if I could make at least you know, 50 to 60% of what I used to make, then I would transition. And that's what I did. So when I transitioned from a programmer to a photographer writer, it was a like a 50% pay cut right away. But luckily or gratefully now, I make, I now make more than I used to as a programmer. So it, so it does take time. These things, you know, it doesn't op- happen overnight. But uh, for me, I, I needed to be making at least 50% to do that jump and, and realize I was going to have to cut and pay down my lifestyle. And then over time it's grown back and more, much more. So So in hindsight, do you feel like that 50 to 60% benchmark was the right one? Yeah, I think so because that helps you kind of declutter your life, minimize your life and take out things you don't need. Right. And cut down your expenses and focus on the on what you need on a daily basis. So I think it was a great kind of benchmark because oftentimes we think what we need or all we need, we actually can do with a lot less and, you know, function and fully survive and live a happy life, you know, or much less. So at that time, I think that was the big pay cut I took. And that was about uh, 10 years ago. But now it's been recouped. <laughs> so. so glad to hear it. Yeah, that's a that minimalist conversation. It's one that comes up in our household a lot. I'm married. I have a wife, got two kids. And just every mm. time we look around the house is cluttered and our, or, you know, that our, <laughs> our credit card bills getting out of control. We say, my goodness, we should, we need to minimize, minimize, minimize. And conceptually it's easy to conceptualize in your mind, but putting it into practice is an entirely different, entirely different beast. And it's so cool that you were able to do that. So tell me once again, just to clarify the timeline from the moment you decided I want to be a full-time professional photographer to the time you officially were out of the programming world. What was the timeline? Oh, let's see. So I quit my full-time job in 2009. And before then, I'd already started kind of freelancing on the side. So I would say it was 2007 was when I started considering myself a professional travel photographer. And there wasn't any like point. It was just, I woke up one day and said, you know what? I am. (laughs) And so, and that's kind of the mindset and I think that's one of the things that, that keeps a lot of people back is like they don't know when to start calling themselves professional photographers. Yes, and, you, made, you made my heart beat a little faster when you said that because I say that to people all the time talking about podcasting and just that imposter syndrome of, you know, who am I to hmm. be podcasting? And I say, you know, that the moment you record that first episode, that first interview, whatever it is, that, that very moment you are a podcaster and that's a powerful, exactly. if, you, if you could, but you have to, you're not trying to sell anybody else on planet earth, except for yourself. You have yeah. to believe it. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. You just really kind of got me. No, it's a, it's a fantastic point. That. No, no, no. It's a fantastic, fantastic point. And I agree with you. I mean, you have to decide for yourself. And I, and I think that's the mantra. You just have to be audacious. You know, like when people ask me, well, how did you get published in national geographic traveler? I mean, all these magazines, I'm like, because I just pitched them. I wasn't afraid. Yes, I was afraid of rejection, but what was the worst that could happen, right? They ignore your email, but what's the best that could happen, right? So you have to be audacious and and get out of your own way, 
right? And and send us pictures and approach because if you know that's what you want or that was what you're born to be doing, you're going to chase it and nobody's going to stop you. Yeah, that's, so. a, that's, a, that's a beautiful mindset and it's just the mindset that, that you want. Tell me about the foundation. What was the foundation of that type of thinking? Did you always... Were you always so so confident and audacious or was it something that you built over time? Tell me that story. Well, I think it's, it's stuff you build over time. I mean, when I, when I was growing up in Nigeria, I mean, I did go to a boarding school. And when I when you say boarding school, it's not like the fancy rich boarding school. It's like this is a tough kind of rough it boarding school. So that kind of built a lot of character. And then just over time, working as a freelancer, you know, you get used to rejection. And you can't take rejection personally because then you wouldn't get out of bed every morning, right? And so when you, so that kind of continues to build that tough skin as a freelancer. And so once you start going after projects, then you don't take things personally. You say, well, maybe it wasn't the right fit or the idea didn't work, but it's not a verdict on you as a person or your skills. So it's, uh, it's stuff that you build over time. I found that rejection Actually, it's kind of counterintuitive, but the more you, the more rejection, the more often I get rejected, whether it's putting out a business proposal or even if it's just seeking a podcast guest, anything, the more often I get rejected, the easier it is to handle rejection because you just mm. realize that, you know, I didn't, my heart didn't stop beating. The, the ground didn't yeah. you know, open up underneath <laughs> exactly. me and swallow me up. It's just another day. And there's a lot of things that I can apply that same thinking to, whether it's, you know, I used, I used in the very, very beginning, I used to beat myself up. If I would send an email and discover later, there was a typo. I would, Oh God, mm. a typo. And then now it's like, Oh my gosh, it's a typo <laughs> a day. You know, and that's just the way, that's just the way it goes. That's like breathing. Mm. And then the time you would spend yeah. making every email perfect or is time you could be spending doing something more valuable exactly. in your business. So Love, love talking about this stuff. So starting in that 2009 timeframe. So now you're, you're on your own. You've left your, your programming career in the past. You're a full-time photographer. Tell me about the, the biggest challenges in your business at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the biggest challenge, you know, I mean, I am a self-taught photographer, so I didn't really go to school for photography. You know, it's something I've been learning. So I do have the eye the creative eye, and then you just kind of learn as you go. But I think the biggest challenge was letting people know that I could do the same job that they gave to certain guys, right? And so that's, and that continues to be the challenge in, in the industry because let's face it, when you think about the travel photographer, you always think about the rugged white guy that just came down Everest, that kind of look. And now, and and then I show up, you know, and I am very good at what I do. I'm, I'm very skilled. So the challenge in the beginning was trying to get editors to, to give me the chance, right? To give me the opportunity to show my work, to show them that this is, I can do this, you know, and not reserve it for a special few. So that's, you know, that's a challenge that will never go away. But that was in the beginning was a, was a, <laughs> was kind of a big ill to climb and battle. So when you're faced with that, that obstacle, there, there's kind of two tacks you can take, Lola. And I'm curious to see what your thoughts were at the time. You know, you can take that tact of I'm going to try to come towards center and make my work or make my personality more like the personalities and the work of the people who are, are successful or... I can just, you can just fully own, I am Lola and just go off in your own way, do your own thing and bring your unique perspective. What tack did you take right there in that beginning? Absolutely. The second one. I mean, I am always myself, Lola, and I have my own eye, my own style, and that will always be me. And I think that has, is what has also helped sustain 
me through the industry because it is in flux. It changes. It it you know um, it goes up with different social media and influencer marketing and things come in and out. But the longevity is what shows that you've been yourself from the very beginning, right? And so that for me is I don't change myself to fit other people, right? I just do what I believe is is what I feel, you know, and if it's not a right fit, if I if I get the rejection, then I move. And I look at rejection as a way of paring down the relationships you don't need to be having. So you can focus on the right partnerships. So that's the way I view rejections. I might think this might be the route for me, but until I get the rejection, then I realize, you know what, maybe that's actually not the right partner <laughs> for me. So so everything kind of helps you build your own voice and your own vision and your own brand as a photographer. And that's really important for me. Absolutely. Being an entrepreneur and be, being a photographer, there or just being an entrepreneur in general, it can, can be lonely and there can be dark times as you're, you're building your business. Even once you've hit a point of success, uh, there, the challenges never, the challenges never stop. So was there any point where there was a, like a, a dark time for you or a time you really felt defeated and wanted to quit? Well, let's see. I mean, you know, with every kind of self-run business, you've got the, we call it the feast and famine because again, I'm also, I wear many hats. So I'm also a freelance writer. And so there's sometimes when, you know, you get a lot of work and then it dips and kind of goes up and down. But I think the bigger challenge is I also have a young family. So I've got two small kids. And so it's a matter of juggling and making sure that I'm spending enough time with the family as, as I'm growing my business as well. So it's not a dark period, but it's just more of a kind of an ongoing work-life balance situation to make sure that what I'm doing doesn't negatively impact the family. They're always center and first and make sure that uh, there's not just work-life balance at home. All right. Well, let's, let's talk some photography. Tell me about, tell me a bit about your business now. What, what are you working on? What's got you excited? Ah, I've got lots of exciting stuff going on. Um, I just wrapped up a great collaboration with Mercedes-Benz. They just launched their new um, electric car here in Stockholm, Sweden. And so I was part of that launch and had my photography there, you know, at their at their launch event. And so that was a great, wonderful kind of brand, brand to brand collaboration. And then I've got some other things in the pipeline. I can't really talk about it right now <laughs> because I, I need to sign. Right. And then uh, with National Geographic Traveler in the UK, I'm, I contribute photography there. And so I do a lot of uh, and adventure.com. I'm also a photographer, comp- contributing photographer there. So, so there's a lot of stuff I do that spans, you know, different publications and different platforms, as well as, uh, oh, and Nordic TV, which is a, a collective I run, co-run here in the Nordics that uh, creates some kind of influencer social media campaigns as well. So there's a lot of things we, you know, that, that my company does. Let's talk about two of those two of those specific opportunities that you just mentioned, two very different types of business opportunities, but both obviously within the photography field. You mentioned National Geographic and then of course the Mercedes-Benz opportunity. Let's talk about each of those in turn. And I want to talk about how you form the relationship in the first place and what the what the flow is as far as delivering the work and then and what kind of money are we talking about as far as what what's the potential? What kind of money can you earn it, mm. doing the National Geographic work? 
Okay, so the National Geographic work, one, one world is editorial and the other is commercial. And the commercial world always has more money than the editorial world, right? So prints and, and uh, publications, they, would, they can't pay as much as a commercial client. And so, you know, without saying specific numbers, like if I did a, like a nine or 10 page spread in a traveler magazine, that's a couple hundred pounds. So maybe almost uh, between 700 to 1,000 pounds. That could be that, you know, multiple page spread. And then for a commercial client, it's a lot more. So it could be, you know, as much as a month's pay in a day. So so it, it really just ranges. And that's why, you know, I'm giving this talk, you know, at the conference to talk about just ways you can sell your photos because you can still keep your own style and your own voice, your own visual, I say your visual voice as a photographer and just find the right brands to align with. And that'll just be because you don't have to work with every single brand just because you want to sell your photos. You can find the right brands where it makes sense and it strengthens and boldens and emboldens your own brand as well. So it it just really, it it really um, ranges, you know, so. So tell me about that, then that Mercedes Benz finding that relationship and, and clearly you made the decision that this was a good relationship for you and for your brand. So for someone out there who's looking to, to find that, that, that commercial client, whether it's Mercedes Benz or whatever it happens to be for that individual, you give me, give a couple tips for, for initiating those conversations, building those relationships that ultimately turn into paid work. Well, I, I would say the, the Mercedes Benz collaboration was a little bit different in that they found me. So I didn't go to them and they found me because I had written a book and photographed a book called Logon, which is a Swedish secret of living well. So it's a book I wrote and also photographed. And so I call that uh, virtual breadcrumbs. So when you leave a lot of digital footprint, the right clients will find you. And so that's what I've been doing for many years, where it takes a lot of work in the beginning. But once you start creating a niche, once you start creating your own style and your own voice, and then kind of sprinkle those breadcrumbs all over the internet, from guest posts here to articles there to photo essays there, the right people will find you. And so that was how they found me because I'd written this book. They found my photography. They used some of the photography at the event as well. And they reached out to me because they were going to host the event in Stockholm. So it was a really great fit. So there are many ways you can reach out to brands. One, you can also, if you, for example, this Mercedes-Benz one, they, they reached out to me. But if I was going to reach out to them, I'm going to study, again, the brand, see if it's they have a similar visual voice to the kind of photography I do, and then maybe try to reach them, reach them and pitch different collaboration ideas as well and say, okay, I'm a photographer, I'm doing this, I'm going, yeah, you know, would you like me to maybe take over your feed or would you like me to, to um, come in, present a collaboration idea? So there, there are many ways you could work. Um, for example, you know, this year I worked with Marriott Hotels and they sent me around the world to do some photo shoots. And it was, and that was a great as- assignment. It was called Fresh Eyes, where they send a photographer to a city and you have to shoot the city with fresh eyes, you know, and meet a, and match a theme. So I was sent to, um, to Zurich, I was sent to Beijing, to Auckland to shoot. And that was a fantastic uh, collaboration. 
And, you know, so there are lots of different kind of partners that I've worked with over the years. So you just have to find the right, um, the partner and just the right way to pitch and collaborate based on, on their own goals as well. Yeah, well, you certainly have have a set of fresh eyes because you've been all over the world to take some amazing, incredible photographs. And of course, you mentioned the book. Uh, how do you how do you pronounce that again? La Grome? Logum. Logum. Secret. Log- <laughs> try, I'm going to practice this right here. I'm, I'm going to leave this in the episode here because I want everyone to hear me trying to pronounce this. Tell me it one more time. Logum. Logum. Yeah. Am I even close? <laughs> yeah, that's close. Yeah, that's close. <laughs> I loved how you mentioned the the digital breadcrumbs. That's a it's a pretty yeah. e- kind of easy concept to get your mind around. But like right now in your business, you you're you're very busy. You're all over the world. And so how do you, what is your strategy right now, kind of day to day to make sure that those digital breadcrumbs keep spreading around so people can find you? Well, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I have a virtual team, so I don't work, <laughs> I don't do everything myself, even though it seems like I'm producing a lot, like on social media, media every day. I mean, I've got a team of now three people working with me. And, uh, you know, one of their managers, because I've got a lot of Twitter accounts and Instagram accounts and Pinterest. So I've got like a team just kind of helping me make sure those stay alive. And so that kind of helps. And then just looking for, you know, opportunities in my areas of strength. So, for example, I've built a niche around Stockholm and Sweden and Scandinavia and culture. And so. I keep looking for articles, you know, opportunities to write articles about that or to photograph pieces and people and and um, just kind of cultural icons so that that keeps that footprint going. So that when you when you type in maybe Lola Sweden, you know, or travel photographer Sweden or Stockholm, then my portfolio start popping up closer to the top. So it's again making sure I keep consistently working on things to 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 strengthen my niche. Now, one of the things you worked on was that book. And the subtitle on that book is Swedish Secret of Living Well. And yes. just real quick, take a minute. Tell me, what is that secret? Or just give us a teaser. <laughs> I'm dying to know. I know. Okay, so uh, Logan was the big trend word last year and, and kind of into the beginning of this year. And it's a Swedish mindset that's often described as not too little, not too much, just right. And you know, it, it, it sometimes I, it's a controversial word because some people feel, oh, it just means middle or average, but it actually means, to me anyway, the best solution in the middle. So if you think of logom as a scale, if you put too much on the scale, it stresses the scale. If you put too little, it stresses the scale, right? So you need to find that perfect balance of the scale that removes the stress with the best solution in the middle. So to sum it all up, logum is really just kind of removing stress within your control in your life. So you can live just kind of that perfect balanced life. So that's what it means. All right. In a nutshell. Take out that stress, balance those scales. And of course you can check out Lola's book, Logum, Swedish secret of living well. And then your other book, do North. We're going to link us up in the show notes so you can go check those books out. Certainly, uh, certainly worth a read. Absolutely. We're speaking to Lola Achenmade Olkström. She's joining us from Sweden today. Lola, we're going to wrap up here with just a couple of quick questions. The first yes. one is tell me, about the best investment you've made in yourself when it comes to business? 
I would say the best investment is I've made is actually going to conferences and trade shows <laughs> and meeting people and listening and learning. Um, so the last month I went uh, to a photography workshop that was led by an amazing photographer called Timothy Allen. Uh, and when I was talking to a friend about it, the friend was saying, what? I'm surprised you're going to a workshop. Like, aren't you already an okay, you know, a good photographer and you've, you know, you've got uh, publications everywhere. And I said, the minute I stop learning is the day my career dies. So that's, for me, the best investment you can make is just going and listening to others, learning in different industries. So even if it's a different industry, but just see how people are working in other industries, solving problems, uh, being successful, go to conferences, network. I think that will be, I would say, some of the best investments in growing my company and being stronger in, in what I do. On the flip side of that, and this is more geared towards the individual who's just starting out. Can you tell me about something that you were really obsessed with in the beginning, something you thought was really, really important that you just had to do or you had to learn that turned out to really not be all that important? I think um, in the beginning, because I want, for example, if there was a publication I really, really wanted to, to get published in, I got a bit obsessive about it and saw all the different kinds of photography they published and, you know, made sure mine was, even though I still had my own style, but make, made sure I was trying to fit that style. But then I realized, you know what? And, and I realized this earlier and I'm like, that's not the way, that's not how I'm going to get in just to make stuff that looks like everything else. Because I always say, and this is what I always say is technical perfection is great. Creativity is better. So that's why when you see some amazing landscape photography that you, that you know has just been technically, you know, the settings were technically perfect, but I don't know who took it. <laughs> like I can't tell if it's this landscape photographer or that landscape photographer or the other landscape photographer because they all look the same and are technically perfect. And I think that's that's a bad thing, actually. I think it's better to be an imperfect imperfect photographer with a style so I know yes that's Aaron's style or yes that's this person's style you know what I mean because that's what makes you stand out your own style your own eye your own way of photographing so that's I think I you know gratefully I learned that early on before I went down the uh, obsession with technical you know technical perfection <laughs> route so well, that is, that is just absolute golden advice, Lola. And I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, just the idea that your imperfections are the, some of the things that we obsess about and we try to, to mask and kind of keep secret to ourselves when in reality, it's those, it's often those very imperfections that set us apart, that endear us to other people who ultimately become our readers or our exactly. customers. So that's very beautifully said. And, uh, if you missed I, I rewind that and listen to that again out there in podcast land. That's how good it is. You need to listen to it twice. Lola, before we say goodbye, you can get as personal with this one as you like. Tell me about the person who has the, had the biggest positive impact on your business besides you. Mm. Well, I'm going to have to say my spouse, my husband. And the reason is, he's the most supportive person I know. And I think if it wasn't for him, 
I don't think my business will have gotten as far as it's gotten because it's just been the perfect partner. You know, I mean, taking care, for example, right now is watching baby babysitting the kids while I'm doing this podcast, right? Making sure they are away and not making noise. <laughs> and so that I think more than any kind of professional guru out there, my spouse is the one that's really helped me with this business, making sure that, you know, the house keeps running while I'm traveling. So, so I, I, I think that he has been the most impactful person for my business, more so than any consultant or any conference or any other expert. Good. I love to hear it. So what I'm taking from that is your photos don't have to be perfect, but your partner should be. Your perfect partner is an absolute <laughs> must. Well, if you spin it that way, you know. <laughs> I'm just having some fun with you, Lola. Really appreciate it. We've been speaking with Lola Akinmade Okostrom. She's calling in from Sweden. I want you to check out Lola's blog at lolaakinmade.com. And she's Twitter, Instagram at Lola Akinmade and Facebook. Let's see. Geo Travelers Niche. Yes? Yeah. Yes. All right. Yes. And you don't need to write that down just now. It's all going to be linked up in the show notes. Lola, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today and taking some time to share your journey on Dramatic Travels Entrepreneurs. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. If you create travel content, then you know how important it is to truly connect with your audience. And podcasting is simply a phenomenal way to create those intimate connections. Podcasting lets you use the power of your voice to share your message, change people's lives, all while expanding your influence and growing your business. My friend, podcasting is a huge part of my dream life, and I want to help make it part of yours too. So if you're ready to start using the power of your voice, take that first step by going to dramaticpodcasting.com. And there you're going to find everything you need to start your podcasting journey from how to create and launch your podcast to how to grow your audience and start making money. It's all there, my friend. It's at dramaticpodcasting.com.